but I am your forensic femme fatale. Natalie is your true crime addict connoisseur. We're just two girls who wonder why Christian Grey stopped at Fifty Shades. There's so many more shades. There's so many more beautiful shades to, I mean, seriously. <laughs> I, I, I tried painting my place once with the color gray and I didn't realize how many colors or shades <laughs> of gray there are. So come on so many. You could do better. Hey chatters. So here's your disclaimer. The following crime chat contains adult content and descriptions of potentially violent scenarios. Your listen discretion is advised. You have been warned. And uh, so before we get into today's crime chat, what have you done? Tell me. I need to know everything. Well, you know, I did a work trip. So I was gone for a little bit. You were gone, gone. You were like in a, where were you? I was in Qatar. I was in Doha. Wow. Okay. So for a little work trip, real quick. Uh, and then I got sick when I got back. Oh, no. <laughs> Typical, you know, all the travel bugs. It was horrible. But I am back. And the Saturday after I got back, I binge watched Pieces of You. What was it? Is this the same one we were hooked on all together? Where we were kind of like texting back and forth? Yes. It was like there was all these like crazy twists and turns and everything. Yeah. Excellent. It was a great series. Excellent series. And you, and it, there was only eight episodes. So, I mean, really, if you didn't have anything to do on a Saturday, you could literally, like, watch it all day. And so that's what I did. That's what we did. <laughs> yes. There was, what, three or four of us in a group chat just mm-hmm. like, oh, and then this, and then that, and then this. Yep. And that's fun to do, too. Like, where you have, like, kind of sort of watch parties or whatever. Pieces of her. Pieces of her. Okay. Pieces of her. Yeah. Oh, and then the other thing, only because I just saw it, I had to check on my phone. I watched The Worst Roommate Ever. That's a series, and it goes over roommates, right? Yeah. I watched the two. I watched a couple. There's like five. It's not mm-hmm. very many, like four or five. Mm-hmm. But there are crazy stories. Like, and I, and this is like almost at the peak of Craigslist, right? Hey, I'm looking for a roommate. And then that just reminds me of the Craigslist killer. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, ah, oh, but people are unstable. Yes. They are. You got to watch out. I know. Not, yeah. You got to be careful, chatters. Like, it's not It's not good. I mean, seriously. No. <laughs> well, what about you? So we, we watched Pieces of Her together. You have not watched Midnight Pass yet, I'm assuming. Not yet. Okay, you got to do that. I need to. Yeah. It is really good. It's good for a weekend's binge. It really is. It's a great story. Yeah. But now I'm hooked on Discovery of Witches. Have you watched it? So we have Amazon also, but you have to subscribe to like the Shutter, right? Yes, and you do. We weren't subscribed, but you could watch one episode free. So we watched the first episode, uh-huh. and it was pretty good. Like it was like okay, you know, I could I could see this, but I guess only if we end up subscribing. <laughs> And there's like four seasons. There's three seasons. They have a seven-day free trial. So you can do the free trial and then you can get it all done in a week. Oh, yeah. I got to plan for that next weekend. There you go. But yes, when you get a chance, watch The Discovery of Witches because it is a cross between Outlander. Have you ever seen Outlander? Yes. Okay, so that whole like romance level, not as high. I mean, mean, Outlander is like soft porn, (laughs) let's face it. (laughs) Like True Blood. True Blood was a lot that yes, way. Yes, like yeah. True Blood. Like it's got that going on. But it also has some um, Wheel of Time stuff going on in it. So it's it's a good story. And you could tell they're adding in this romance level. But the st- even without the romance, this mm-hmm. is a great story. It's a great mm-hmm. thing to binge. I'll be honest with you. You said Outlander and it kind of reminded me. So we also just watched the last season of The Last Kingdom. Oh, how was that? <sighs> 
I've never got into that. Is that worth it? Uh, it's worth it just to watch the main character. <laughs> really? Okay. Oh, I think, yeah. It's So my husband watched it and he like, he knows every episode in the storyline. I've kind of, I've caught most of the stories because he'll watch it sometimes without me and I'll try to catch up. Mm -hmm. But it's a complex storyline. Like you really have to pay attention to it. Okay. I'm going to watch it. You know, and sometimes when you have like a fan favorite type of series, people are disappointed in the ending. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, right. Like how it ended. I I was very satisfied with how this ended. All right. I will give it a shot. But, but hey, before we get into your absolutely crazy, amazing story that I know we're going to talk about today, it's going to, it's a well-known story. Um, so we wanted to try something new, Chatters, and I am going to test Natalie on some of her knowledge. <laughs> Feel free to play along. Okay. All right. Let's do this. So if you remember, I got a ton of true crime books at Christmas time, right? Yes. And one of them is the serial killer trivia. All right. First of all, <laughs> you know we have a problem when for Christmas, everybody's getting you serial killer <laughs> their books. I got serial killer books and a mic and other equipment for the podcast. <laughs> I think your family knows you. <laughs> I think so. But it says, fascinating facts and disturbing details that will freak the fuck out of you. Okay. Author is Michelle Kraminsky. I take no royalties to the information in this book. Okay. So chatters, feel free to play along. If you have some of the answers, let us know. Let's do it, girl. Who invented the term serial killer? Oh my God. Wait, there was a, sh there was a Netflix show called Mindhunter that uh, the actual doctor i don't know his name but i know the actor <laughs> so close <laughs> so it's gonna we're gonna do a little bit of flashback on a previous podcast because we talked about him a couple episodes ago people who have committed multiple murders have been around forever uh -huh. and most of us probably can't remember a time where we haven't heard the term serial killer but it really didn't come into like our universe until the mid-1970s when FBI criminal profiler Robert Ressler was a lecturer at the police academy in Bromshill, England. Before we used serial killer like as a term to describe multiple murders, the term was mass murderer. Uh -huh making the crime sound far more random than usually the usual, like, more calculated intentional serial killing. So to answer the actual question, though it can't be complete without mentioning of wrestlers FBI, uh -huh. like, notoriety and stuff, his fellow profiler, John Douglas, co-authored the book Mindhunter. Yes. But do you remember the name John Douglas? We mentioned it just a couple episodes. You mentioned a quote for him that was brilliant. I remember that. From the lipstick killer. Because he was the one who actually went by and interviewed um, the alleged lipstick killer. And he's like, yeah, this guy, th this guy didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. We have like a little, uh, our own little crime chat rewind, mm -hmm. right? Wrestler, Robert Wrestler and John Douglas dedicated their professional lives to researching and writing about serial killers. They conducted countless one-on-one -on -one interviews with some of the most notorious serial killers of our time to include Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, Charles Manson, and delved into the psychology behind their actual murderous acts. So, Did I get it right? Yes. You actually got, you got that one. Thank you, Netflix. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> 
So you'll probably get this one as all as well. So which which country has the most serial killers? What? Okay, I'm thinking it's not the U.S. I'm thinking it's probably no, it is. What? I would think it would be like London or it's the U.S. We're so fucked up. It is. is it? So England actually comes into a very close okay. second, but the United States has three thousand two hundred and four serial killers documented documented now from 1900 to 2016 while england has only 166 so actually not a very close second that's quite afar but number two is england it's so here it says two two factors contribute to the numbers one law enforcement in the u.s are skilled at both discovering homicides and linking them to the same killer Uh and then two the country's expansive open record policies facilitate crime-solving process. I mean, think about the DNA Doe Project. Yes. Yeah. All right, so here's a here's a good one. What's the most common murder method used by serial killers? Stabbing. Stabbing is third. Okay. You're close. So shootings, gunshot, is actually nearly half of the approximate 10,000 recorded serial murders in the U.S. from 1900 to now. The next most common method is strangulation, which I know, like, that's a personal thing, like when you strangle somebody, right? Uh Uh-huh. Uh, which has occurred in 22% of serial murders, and then stabbing is a third most frequent, which is around 15%. Other reported methods in order of frequency include bludgeoning, poisoning, axing, drowning, smothering, burning, forced overdosing, and then running over the victim with a vehicle. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm that serial killer who likes to run people over. <laughs> Listen, I was, uh, today I went shopping and I used my dad's car, and because he's yeah. got a bigger car than me, and, my, and I took my mom shopping, and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, the lady can shop. So we needed we needed yeah. ample trunk space. And he's got a really nice car. He's got like a Cadillac, but he got it the year before they had the backup camera. Oh, yeah, yeah. My car has a backup camera. Like, I don't worry about anything. I drove his car and I didn't have that back. I could have killed anybody. <laughs> like, I didn't know what. Like, I, I had to say, wait, Nat, you need to turn around now. And you need like, to actually look- do what they, they taught you in driver school? Yeah, you need to actually look around now. You can't be. I'm looking at my dash going, where's the camera? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I can understand that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. So the next one here is kind of like a, a two-parter, but who is the typical serial killer in terms of sex, race, and intelligence. White man between 30 and 35 and 45, probably educated mm-hmm. and has a has a family mm-hmm. and has a job and probably belongs to a religious community and girls the same thing like a pedophile. You say John Wayne Gacy, you just ex- described John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> BTK. Yeah, bind, torture, kill. Yep. So you're, yes, men make up the vast majority of serial killers, which is at nearly 90%. Where are you, Aqua? Where are you, Aqua Defana? When we need you. (laughs) White men, of course. So not just, uh, but not, whites count for the majority, uh, but but only just at 52%. Next comes black serial killers at 40%. Other races are barely represented statistically. But regarding intelligence, although serial killers have the reputation of being devious criminal masterminds, the reality is far more mundane and so are their IQs. There are, of course, outliers, right? So Ed Kemper... 145 Mm -hmm. IQ. Yeah. He was a genius or like a near genius. Ted Bundy is also 124. 
as an IQ. Very superior mm-hmm. intelligence. And for the most part, although serial killers have an average IQ of 94.5, that's completely normal. The, the whole misconception that that serial killer would be stupid by any means is so wrong. Yeah. These people are, are intelligent. They know how to be phony in your community. They know how to... Yeah. The same thing like with when it comes to serial killers or pedophiles. These people know how to adapt without being detected. Mm-hmm. That takes some level of know-how and feeling and also narcissism where you feel like you're walking in a room and you're the smartest person in there. Yeah. So what about women? How, how do you think they're represented amongst serial killers? Unrepresented, of course. We're always unrepresented. <laughs> right? I mean, seriously. We should get more credit. <laughs> <laughs> Julia Tapata, come back. Um, so while women can comprise a little more than half of the U.S. population. They commit only 17% of serial killings within the U.S., which is obviously not quite as equal. Interestingly, though, they commit just 10% of all murders in the country. So that just kind of goes back to, like, all men are evil. Do you think that women are just smarter not to get caught? Possibly. Yeah. Sorry. Possibly. I I, I think there's a combination. I think that answer has, you know, that, that question poses a lot of different scenarios. I think that women are are less likely to get caught. That's a valid point. Yeah. Very valid. Um, okay, so last question. How many murders does it take for someone to be considered a serial killer? I'm going to throw a number out there. I'm going to think seven. Okay, that's a lot. Is it? I think, I think so. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Although the term serial killer invokes images of mad killing sprees across for months, years, or even decades, as far as the FBI is concerned, a serial killer is anyone who murders more than one person in separate events. So that hasn't always been the definition. It has changed over the years. Mm -hmm. Law enforcement officials, academics, researchers, and mental health professionals categorize serial killers in different ways over the last 40 years, like since it's serial killers become like a catchphrase, if you will. For example, the old FBI definition included the requirement of a cooling off period like in between murders uh-huh. uh, and then the bureau once identified those without a break were spree killers so i don't know if you've heard that term too so our wine and crime gals did something on spree killings where uh-huh. they kind of differentiated between what a spree killer was an active shooter was and then serial killer as of its 2005 uh, the 2005 Serial Murder Symposium, which is a thing we need to get on that list, um, the FBI settled on defining serial murder as, quote, the unlawful killing of two or more victims by the same offender in separate events, end quote. So you did great! So wait a minute, what does that say about me that it takes about seven murders to be a serial killer? You're not a serial killer. <laughs> as long as they're in separate events. Now you can kill six people at one time, and that'd be more of like a mass murder or like mass active murder. shooter. Yeah, but once you kill kill somebody else or other people Mm -hmm. on a separate occasion once there's like two events if you will Mm. then you become serial all right this is good to know the more you know chatters (laughs) the more you know (laughs) (laughs) that was awesome oh my god i like this that was so much fun yeah yeah oh my gosh it's great and so there there's a lot of it's good to know that there are other true crime addicts out there yes all right so are you ready for my story girl yes I'm so ready. It's going to be heavy. There's so much here. Okay. So, um. Yes. I'm going to be discussing a story, a famous murder that has been the subject to intense and sometimes bizarre speculation. Just so you know, at least six authors have claimed that they have solved this case. Each offering a different solution and different what what exactly happened because we really don't know. Right. If I had to cover all of those stories and all of those theories, it, this would be like a three, four-parter chit-chat. We're not going to oh, do yeah. that. Yeah. 
I focus on one person. Today's person of interest is Dr. George Hodel. Have you ever heard of him? Oh, have I? Oh, have I? Oh, Hi. yes. Girl, he was the prime suspect of the unsolved murder of the Black Dahlia case. Mm-hmm. And we, yeah, it's freaking crazy. Yes. So that case is almost... 76 years. 76. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, but still unsolved. I mean, unless there's some sort of time travel science. I mean, I don't know if we'll ever solve that one. Honestly, Kat... It's solved. Okay, well, convince me. Yeah, let's just convince put it this way. Me. Girl, it's solved. <laughs> but the problem is, is that there's so much corruption that it, it's like John Bonet. It's like sure. there are things that can't be admitted because there would be too many people going down. Right. So let's just say that it's solved. I think it is. But anyway. All right. The Black Dahlia case is the gruesome killing of Elizabeth Short, and a lot of people don't. Oh, wait, wait, what was that? Is that your shirt? Oh, yeah, my, I was getting comfortable. Pew, 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 my pew, pew shirt. (laughs) We've all, we've all heard about the Black Dahlia case. It's burned into American history and pop culture, as we know. Just the gruesome, gruesomeness of it alone. Oh, my God. The fact that their torso was cut, just everything, Uh the the smile on her face, yeah. I have um, information that is not widely known. So as we know, this crime basically is what nightmares are made out of. I mean, just the vision of that picture of her her crime scene, just it's bone chilling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it started one of the largest investigations in LAPD. This case has never been solved and it's been active for 75 years. So yeah, it's uh, authorities at the time when this happened interviewed hundreds of people, hundreds of suspects uh, locally in the community and not locally in the community, people that were traveling. They brought that hit list to, to basically six suspects they did that really early on so they weren't not doing their work yeah 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 I think they had a lot of there were a lot of power players there that were preventing really good detectives from solving this case let's just put it that way sure okay at the top of their list was a name uh, a man called George Hodel at this point chatters grab your cozy socks Pour yourself a glass of wine, some rosé, bubbly. I will do my best to keep this crime chat train on its tracks. Choo-choo. Gonna be a bumpy ride, so let's get into it. George Hill Hodel Jr. was born October 10th, 1907 in California to George Sr. and Esther Hotel. He was an only child. He was well-educated. And when I say highly intelligent, the man scored a 186 on his IQ test early in life. Wow. We just talked about IQ tests. Ed Kemper was in the 140s. Yeah, like I know you know about like the scoring chart, but just to give the chatter some insight so like yeah the scoring chart goes like this so if you if you take this test and you score between a 90 and a 109 you're what we call average you're average average joe i'm an average jill <laughs> Cat, you're, you have a higher iq but that's me at that point uh the next one on the score chart is 110 to 119 which would be high average and then 120 to 129 would be superior mm-hmm. and then one. 30 to 144 would be gifted or very advanced and 145 or over would be genius level. Mm. So he scored higher than Einstein mm. before he was 15. Before he was 15? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was tested early 
on. So he had a 186. This guy was not stupid. I mean, academically not stupid. Right. There's a difference, I, I personally think. <laughs> book smart. So my husband calls book smart versus street smart. Yes. Yeah, it's true. The highest IQ recorded at that point, they said, was a woman named Edith Stein. She was on record for being testing at 190, which is high, which is very high, right? Very high, yeah. But the Guinness Book highlights a writer called Marilyn Vos Savant. She was born in 1946 and she scored a 228 cat. Uh, did you say the two highest are women? Oh, women. <laughs> yes. We don't get caught. That's right. <laughs> we don't get caught. <laughs> what would you ask somebody who's got an IQ of 228? Uh, see, I don't even have the smarts for that. <laughs> like, I would say... Like, do you feel it comes naturally to you or like were you avoiding something at home mm -hmm. that made you focus on school? Like, I don't know. Girl, I'm about to show my 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 score of 90 because I would ask her cappuccino or espresso. Which one do you like? <laughs> so I would want to know where she's coming from. <laughs> So George Hodel was also a musical prodigy. He graduated at 15 from South Pasadena High School and then attended California Institute of Technology. People would state that he was spoiled during his childhood. His mother was an overbearing, controlling woman. Mm -hmm. He wasn't allowed to go outside. He wasn't allowed to play sports or be a kid. She didn't want him hurting his piano hands. Well, that also came up with the pieces of her. Do you remember that part? Oh, that's right. Chatters, you have to watch that show that's a good show so he ended up saying later on that he absolutely hated her like he disliked his mother and at, I mean once a son dislikes his mother that much what can go wrong of course mommy issues seriously so later on while he was at the uh, California Institute for Technology he was asked to leave the university one year in due to a sex scandal involving a professor's wife <gasps> scandal Scandalous. What he did. Papa teacher. He also impregnated her. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> she decided to leave the school. Her and her husband left the school when she went back to her family's home. She ended up getting divorced, but she did have the child and she named the child Folly, as in like Francis Folly. Like, yeah. Oh my God, that poor child. He wanted to kind of like raise the kid, but he was 15 and she's like, no, I don't want anything to do with you. And he doesn't know who this child is. This child is gone well she shouldn't have had sex with a 15 year old i mean i know True. that he's a genius and everything but damn not good so around 1928 hodel was in a common law marriage with a woman named amelia and they had a son named duncan in 1930 he officially married a girl named dorothy anthony who was a fashion model and had a daughter named tamar george graduated and then received his medical degree in 1936 from the university of california so he ended up when he was kicked out of the California Institute of Technology. He ended up receiving his degree at the University of California. Okay. He was hired at the LA Health Department and specialized in VD control. What's VD? VD, venereal disease. He quickly became the head officer for the county. So he was smart. People coming in that are getting diagnosed he was the head honcho on diagnosing people, and, and this is for Los Angeles. I mean, this is huge. 
<laughs> Think about yeah. it. Yeah, this is a lot of STDs going around. A lot of STDs. VD, as you can imagine, back then was a huge problem. We had war going on and transmitting disease or infecting other people was a big issue back then. So as you can imagine, George Hodel had some high profile patients. Yes. You can only imagine. Back then, VD carried a very heavy stigma with it. Of course. It still does. Yeah. And some would say that he used his position to gain advantage on them. There was evidence of him misdiagnosing people. Really? This type of news back then would ruin your life. I and mean, let's face it, back then people would think like, oh, you got VD, so that therefore you cheated and you're a horrible spouse and you should burn. Mm-hmm. We are going to get into that. So I want you to put a pin. A little nugget. George Hodel purchased the Franklin Snowden house. Are you familiar with this house? Um, Sounds familiar, yeah. I'm going to post a picture on the Patreon. This house, uh, which is currently owned by the actress from That 70s Show, Laura Pepon. She played Donna with the red hair, the beautiful next door neighbor. Yeah, Donna, yeah. She owns the house right now. Ooh. I know, this house was built in 1926 by Lloyd Wright, who is the son of Frank Lloyd Wright, for the artist John Snowden. When I show you this picture of this house, it's the house itself is so wrong and right at the same time. Look evil cat like it has a very foreboding feel I see it now yeah they nicknamed it the Jaws house yeah and the interior of this house is just it's beautiful but the front of the house is <laughs> what the hell what like who yeah I'm not an artist or an architect but damn that's that a scary crazy. looking house is it not it looks crazy it does look crazy the Hodel family lived there from 1945 to 1950 Hodel married his second wife Dorothy Harvey which he nicknamed her Dorero not to confuse her with his wife right, right. Dorothy he named her Dorero because Dorero is actually a Greek term meaning gift or god of erotic love. Oh, crazy sex. I know. So they had three kids together. Hodel was effectively a polygamist in 1940s. I don't know what the hell that looks like. Mm. Hodel was living with Dorero, their three kids, his first wife, Dorothy Anthony, their daughter, Tamar, and his original common law wife, Amelia, and their eldest child, Duncan. Oh my gosh. I never realized that about him. He had his, yeah. let's be one big happy family. Uh-huh. In the Snowden house. Would you say, what was the, sh- what was the show? Big Love? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. He got some big love. You know, even in Big Love, the husband, as, as messed up as it is, he was mm-hmm. loyal to his three wives. George Hodel not only had all this going on at home, he would also have frequent lovers come in, mm. random girls come in so he that uh, uh, gross because mm-hmm. he had a lot of children under the same roof at this time his children would say that he was cold and distant they all said that they feared him because they knew that he was capable of something very dark they all feared him on a very primal level and that's yeah that's big for a child to fear he would do things like talk on the house intercom and he would say things and i quote children this is God. Be ready in five minutes or be left behind. Oh, how traumatic for a child. <laughs> wow. What the hell? They felt that if they disappointed him, the wrath of God would come down mm-hmm. on them. So they were petrified. Yeah. By this time, Hodel was a successful doctor and moving in an affluent LA society and became enamored with the darker side of surrealism art and lifestyle. Are you familiar with that? Mm-mm. So surrealism is a 20th century avant-garde movement in art and literature. It was a cultural movement that developed in Europe in the aftermath of World War 
one. Okay. So the 20s. Mm-hmm. Surrealism is where art depicts an illogical scene that develops techniques to allow the unconscious mind to express itself. So like think of mm-hmm. Salvatore Dali. Mm-hmm. Remember the melting clocks? Mm-hmm. So that was that was depicted from his dream. Like Okay. Surrealism was aimed to bring the dream-like state into reality. Mm-hmm. The imagery is extremely precise and the visual reference is heightened. This art form does have a very, very dark side to it. The depiction of female and or children in surrealist art are usually objectified using women and children in the most Mm. disturbing, reductive way. Of course he would like that. Yeah. One of the first influencers of surrealism is the French writer Marquis de Sade, who wrote about torturing and sexually abusing women and children in the name of art. Oh my God. No, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can look him up. He's on Wikipedia. It's pretty sick. He felt by giving freedom to your psychopathological impulse, which included rape, murder, sodomy, and coprophilia, which is the intense interest in sexual arousal of feces and defecation Mm. and blasphemy. Mm. Oh, okay. So George became friends with a famous photographer, Man Ray. Ever heard of him? No. Mm -mm. You're going to hear of him a lot in this story. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, you're about to get very familiar with with the, with the man Ray. This guy creeps me out. The They would party together. They would have like these social sex affairs for like the surrealist community. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. But as you can see, kind of like this whole vibe that's happening is a very sick, twisted. And it, George and his surrealist friends, they shared like this interest of sadomasochism and their world included partying, drinking, womanizing, and everything happen at this Franklin Snowden house because this was a hot spot at this point. I mean, in 1949, Hodel's teenage daughter, Tamar, accused him of incestuous sexual abuse and impregnating her. I I do remember hearing that, yes. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Two witness abuse and testified at the trial, stating that George would offer his daughter up to friends like Man Ray Mm -hmm. to take nude pics of her, uh, perform sex acts during these sex parties. One witness claimed that George invited her to have a threesome with her and Tamar and she did Mm. but all the witnesses that came forward during the court case uh, later recanted their testimony and refused to come forward one got locked up for this and the theory is that George Hodel threatened them into silence which I believe sure of course yeah he he was a very powerful person at this point right yep with nobody else to come forward it was his word against hers and a prestigious doctor and a silly little spoiled girl what do you think happened oh yeah he was it didn't it didn't go anywhere he wasn't convicted it was he was completely acquitted after a very public trial regardless of the evidence Tamar's testimony was ruled out as contradictory and attention oh god well I mean this is also the societal time frame where you could blame the victim mm-hmm. and there wasn't anything wrong with that because your whoever your father the accuser whoever was in such a societal status yeah that it was okay like we don't want to embarrass them yes poor baby george then turned tamar over to the state for a year and then he coined her as a liar in the social circles that he mm-hmm. hung around so he let her come back a year later this was after this little girl 
girl was potentially, I mean, allegedly he raped her, pregnated her. Right. He threw her out to live in foster homes and all this stuff. Yep. God only knows what happened to her. And then he allowed her to come back. During the trial, Tamar accused him of attempting to perform an unsuccessful illegal abortion on her on 15, at 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember about this too. That's crazy. LAPD were familiar with George Hodel and his fucked up behavior because George was also linked to an illegal abortion ring hmm. at the time. Go figure. I know. Tamar stated after the botched procedure, she ended up having the baby, which he, he forced her to give her away. Mm-hmm. Tamar stated that he was able to give the baby up for adoption under the table because on the birth certificate, they stated that the father was black and unknown. Ouch. But this is in the 40s. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, this was a lie. The baby would eventually start looking for her mother. Her name is Fauna Hodel. Let's put a pin in that for later. We're going to hit on that because the Hodel family has a reunion. Her name, the baby's name was Fauna? Yes. Oh, okay. I was thinking that was the mother's name, but I'm like, that was Tamar. (laughs) So Fauna went on the birth certificate. She did name her daughter. They actually gave the baby up. One of the family members would frequent a casino and the lady in the bathroom was this African-American lady that would, you know, hand you towels and kind of like man the bathroom. Mm -hmm. The lady walked in and said, do you want a baby? I have a baby that's half African-American and half white and, you know, like I I wanted to go to somebody I know. She asked the lady, the attendant in the bathroom and the attendant ended up adopting that baby. Wow. Well, I mean. Yeah, it's crazy. I think I probably would too, but anyway. Yeah. So this is a shit show of a family story. Yeah. And the crime chat crazy train is full speed now, chatters. Choo-choo. Chatters, you may want to refill your beverage of choice while we listen to this week's sponsor. Yes. Now for a word from our sponsor. Today's segment has been sponsored by our friends at Fatal Beauty LLC, a vegan, cruelty-free, eco-friendly, woman-owned, and indie-inspired beauty line. They have all kinds of cosmetics and accessories, eyeshadows, lips, lashes, brushes, you name it, they have it. And they are absolutely committed to quality, which should never be a compromise. They are the only place you need to shop for great, fabulous, affordable makeup. And they have a variety of collections to include collabs with the amazing makeup artist Paul Dow. They also have a BFF collection, which is so fitting as this company was started by two besties who want you to feel like a queen. This BFF collection includes amazingly pigmented eyeshadow palettes, lashes, and lipsticks that are just gorgeous. But there's so much more to explore and there is something literally for everyone. You can shop now at www.shopfatalbeauty.com using our code CRIMECHAT for a 20% off of your entire purchase. That's www.shopfatalbeauty.com to earn your discount today. Welcome back, chatters. Cat. Meanwhile, in LA, the Black Dahlia murder happens. <laughs> On January 15th, 1947, at 10 a.m., Betty Bursinger was walking her three-year-old down Norton Avenue in LA and saw something disturbing in an empty lot on the street. At first sight, she assumed that it was a mannequin, but then she realized it was a dead body cut in half. She ran and contacted authorities immediately, of course. The body that was found was that of Elizabeth Short. Was it was it found right away that they knew who it was? 
did she have identification on her or do you do you know if not then that's fine not yet no they did not not yet when they first discovered her body they didn't know who she was till they brought her to the coroner so while she was they were collecting evidence at the crime scene they had no idea she was Jane Doe yeah yeah the crime scene was surreal hint hint <laughs> okay when officers arrived at the crime scene they found the nude and mutilated body of Elizabeth Short aka yep. the Black Dahlia she had no ID no personal effects were left at the scene but one of the detectives noticed that there was a couple of large 50 pound fertilizer sacks with watery blood off to the side which were later revealed that this is what transported the body oh okay okay elizabeth short's body was found bisected at the waist her blood was completely drained from her body her face was cut in a glasgow smile a cut that was Mm -hmm. made from the Mm -hmm. corner of her mouth all the way to her ears her thighs and breasts had uh several cuts including pieces of flesh removed her lower half was placed approximately a foot away from the top her intestines were pushed out and pushed under her buttocks her legs were spread open her arms were pulled over her head and bent to the elbows like i mean she was staged for the most shocking yeah intentionally put in a certain position yeah whoever positioned elizabeth was methodical violent yet took the time to create and execute a gruesome yet poetic i want to say scene in this surreal degree of post-mortem manipulation like so Mm -hmm. if you look at the picture Mm-hmm. there's a there's a message there there's something yep, yep. LAPD has never they've never seen mm-hmm. or witnessed anything to this degree before but the true horrors that was done to Elizabeth before during and after were revealed on the autopsy some details of the autopsy were not released at the time mm-hmm. due to the graphic and violent nature Frederick Newbar which you know what we're gonna get to him later because he has a, there's a crime chat link Ooh. to one of the chats that you did yeah so we're gonna talk about that too he was the LA coroner who conducted the autopsy and he stated uh, here is a female 5 feet 5 inches tall 115 pounds her now at this point we're going to get into what uh, the trauma that was done to her and it, it is it is yeah okay here we go so uh, she had ligature marks on her feet and hands ligature marks on her wrists and neck 8 cigarette burns on her back blunt force trauma to her face and head scalpel lacerations to her upper lip tic tac toe scalpel cuttings to her right hip scalpel lacerations to her left breast Mm -hmm. right breast completely removed three inch slashes from corners of mouth to the to the ear on both sides of the face forming a gruesome smile Mm -hmm. which is also known as a glasgow smile sodomy using unknown objects removal of large piece of flesh from her left thigh and then inserted into her vagina oh my god oh yeah there's i didn't know that there's a couple of details that are not not really well known a section of her hair was cut and inserted into her vagina Mm. four and a half inch hysterectomy incision surgical bisection of body between second and third lumbar vertebrae washing and scrubbing down of body using a coconut fiber brush to remove fingerprints her stomach was full of unknown material later determined to be fertilizer and mostly feces oh my god Uh, determination was victim was forced to consume feces and fertilizer before death yeah didn't know that either 
Yeah. LA PD speculated her body parts were placed on top of the 50 pound empty cement mm-hmm. sacks and then transported by car. The body was completely drained of blood. The only blood evidence that was found was this blood lividity. lividity and yeah. I know you know this. This is like mm-hmm. the pooling under the skin at the time of death when the heart stops beating. It's like it, it causes like this. It settles. It settles. Yeah. Based on gravity. Yeah. So this was on the front side of her but she was laying on her back when they found her so when she died she was laying on her she was face down yeah Yeah. right which would tell you that she was moved yep Yep. the cause of death was determined to be hemorrhaging from the lacerations from her face and Mm -hmm. shock and blows to her head and face misconceptions about short arose quickly as you can only imagine Mm -hmm. they said that she was a call girl or that she had a crazy lesbian lover or that she of course was a tease all victim blaming at the time all of it Uh, and none of it was proven the autopsy proved that she was not pregnant at the time of death but there was evidence stating that she was possibly the victim of an illegal abortion gone wrong that's that's pretty interesting the mutilation was also compared to that of suzanne degnan 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 yep okay the lipstick killer yes uh, so the chief autopsy surgeon was Frederick Newbar, the same guy that did Elizabeth Short. Okay. Well, Isn't that okay. crazy. No, that is. And George Hodel was also considered a suspect in the murder of Suzanne Dednan. Yes. That's right. Girl, yep. that's right. <laughs> I fucking did it. I'm sorry. Okay, let's move on. He's a murderer. He stated, and okay, here's here's his quote. They bore additional uh, evidence of a skill with which the dismemberment of her body was accomplished. Mm-hmm. That's when you know you have a high IQ because that sentence doesn't read well with <laughs> It me. just means that he was smart with a scalpel. That's all. Like, I wouldn't have worded it that way. He, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. And the criminal defense attorney, Anthony Salerno, who also made a statement to the Chicago Tribune stated that Elizabeth Short's murder and the lipstick murder Mm -hmm. was very closely related. The Black Dahlia murder was also compared to the Cleveland Corso murders which took place between 1934 and 1938 which is still unsolved. Yes, yes. And that was, I mean, Cleveland It's crazy. Too terribly far from Chicago which is where all the lipstick killer killings took place. Well, alleged. I I think the first two, back to my theory, but the first two potentially could have been the same but the little girl is completely separate yeah i agree do you think that uh, that it could have possibly been the same guy that dismembered all these people yeah yeah the and then the the torso cleveland torso killer and then even yeah the elizabeth short sure Mm -hmm. at this point a suspicious envelope showed up at the lapd and also the los angeles examiner which was an envelope and then also letters started showing up within like 10 days of this murder Mm -hmm. the envelope contains a letter using cut out words from the newspaper clippings at the time and it said here is the Dahlia's belongings inside were Elizabeth Short's birth certificate her business cards photographs names on a piece of paper and also an address book like a little black book mm-hmm. all the letters at this time was signed the Black Dahlia Avenger yeah. which was not released to the public so the public did not know this at that point yeah. the police felt that at this point whoever was writing these letters really knew a lot about the crime and that this was the killer just you know there's so much killing here and death I want mm-hmm. to highlight Elizabeth Short a little bit like who is she and you know what 
after like who like who is this poor girl elizabeth short was born july 29th 1924 in medford massachusetts to phoebe and celo short uh when she was five her father disappeared his car was later found near a lake and apparently abandoned which led police mm. to believe that he committed suicide <laughs> however he appeared and apologized to his wife for leaving the family like that mm-hmm. i guess he needed a break from you know <laughs> i remember this like that he had disappeared and um well i mean you'll probably get into it but but the father was the one that was first notified when she was killed mm. <laughs> He's a piece of crap. Yeah. What a piece of shit. I am sorry. He's a piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, so the wife would not take him back. And then he ended up going and moving to the West Coast. Elizabeth decided to go to California to visit her dad when she was 19. She stayed with him for a while. But before long, like, he was like, get out. You're not doing anything with your life. <laughs> like, who the fuck is he to say that? First of all, he damaged his kid when she was five years old. Yeah. The least he can do is to kind of give her shelter. Anyway, the press named the crime the black dahlia murder mostly because elizabeth's dark hair and she often wore black which honestly is not proven kind of what the press said so okay i you know and i always wondered how they came up with black dahlia like why is that a thing they had a picture of her with the flower in her hair uh she did have this beautiful like midnight dark hair and then she had like this flower and that picture just they needed a catchy name Mm -hmm. they needed something that could resonate with the public and that was it Mm -hmm. majority of stuff that was coming out through the press at that point I honestly don't think it was true I think it was more sensationalized in order for people to buy the magazine and continue because remember this was so big it was not only publicized on the front page for like three months in LA but it also was publicized in New York for three months on the front page you could not get away from this case so it was huge at the time well and I always think of her as being a a one-time stayer at the Cecil Hotel in LA and that's a crime chat in itself yes the Cecil Cecil Hotel is crazy so many things happen there nuts yeah go ahead (laughs) it still goes on I know (laughs) I know you realize it's open now like we could we we can go do a crime chat there so I, I I saw something recently in the news that said that it's considered a section eight approved section eight housing or something like that now yeah yes so now they're they're doing like a affordable living is what they're calling it and it's like Mm-mm. but still not a safe place because remember the the yep, yep. the surrounding area are people that are living on the streets affordable <laughs> yeah how do you balance that with uh livable i don't know i know i know so elizabeth short was last seen at the regal biltmore hotel getting into a 1939 studebaker the owner of the car his name was Robert Red mm-hmm. Montley, who was questioned immediately, but he was actually out of town when she died. So, but his car was searched okay. and all that good stuff was done and he was cleared and re- and released. So, oh, wow. and it was a weird color. It was like a yellow Studebaker. Banana yellow. Like a banana yellow <laughs> Studebaker. Another person that was questioned was, his name was Mark Hansen. He was a friend that Elizabeth stayed with at the time because you remember after her father kicked her out, she was kind of staying and, and shack. Not that she was shacking up with people she would go to the she would go out at night and then whoever she met she would end up sleeping on their couch this mm-hmm. doesn't mean that she's sleeping with them or anything but people were being kind to her probably because she was a young mm-hmm. lost beautiful girl who 
you know, people felt like, yeah. oh, God, you're not going to survive here. So right. there are good good people that were helping her. One of the reasons why they suspected him was because one of the items that was in the envelope that showed up at the police department from the killer was his address book. It had his uh, embossed initials on it. But the cops later felt that, you know what, Elizabeth could have taken this from his house when... That's what I was wondering, if she might have taken it and it was her with her personal belongings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. On January 25th, shorts, handbag, and shoe were seen on top of a, a garbage can in an alley mm-hmm. a short distance from Norton Avenue, which her body was found. They ended up locating it, and it was, it's part of evidence now. Elizabeth is a single girl, let's face it, okay? Mm-hmm. Single women yep. and men, they date. They date. They date mm-hmm. good people. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They don't know. You're dating, okay? You're, you're giving everybody that first date to get to know them. And she dated Red right. and Mark. But guess who else was, guess who else she was dating, girl? Well, I mean, we got to bring it full circle. George. Dr. George. Georgie boy. So the LAPD asked George Hodel to come in and answer some questions because they had already suspected him of another murder. Why? Because during mm-hmm. the sex abuse trial, Tamar, the daughter that was saying that he raped her and, you know, impregnated her, okay. claimed that her father was also the Dahlia killer. Right, right. Yeah, why would a 15-year-old girl know this? This is just so odd. And then the LAPD also received multiple anonymous tips about Hodel and Elizabeth Short. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how this is coming full circle. Also, eight witnesses claim seeing Short and Hodel okay. around like the Biltmore Hotel. So this is where the last place she was seen getting into the, ho- you know, supposedly getting into this car. But definitely George Hodel was there. He's not somebody that walks into a hotel. You don't know who he is because he basically, I mean, he's the VD. He's the guy. You know, higher up. He's the guy. And also, Hodel's medical degree aroused suspicion, given the theory that whoever bisected Short's body had to have a surgical skill. Now, the lead medical examiner of the case, Ray Pinker, stated that this was not a hack job, but a, a skillful surgical procedure called a hecorpectomy. A hemicorpectomy. How to say that over again? It's a lot of words. I hate. I hate the the yeah. Medical terminology is all over the place. <laughs> it's so horrible. No, it is. Um, okay, so here's some crime chat medieval shit ready <laughs> <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna go evil on your ass here we go get the wine ready here we go a hemicorpectomy is a surgery that was taught in some schools in america in the 1930s this is the only way mm-hmm. to do this procedure there there's no other way okay and it's done between the second and third lumbar vertebrae the body below the waist below on the fourth on the third vertebrae is amputated and then it's transecting the lumbar spine so this removes a person's legs Mm -hmm. the genitalia internal and external organs urinary tract system uh pelvic bones anus rectum so basically you know it's cutting a person literally in in half half. yeah yeah initially the lapd had 100 suspects 19 false confessions gotta love those they concentrated on six top suspects which included George Hodel. They really didn't have much evidence to go on, but the LAPD were very familiar with Miss Hodel because, mm-hmm. you know, one, Tamar's accusations 
about her father was already making him a suspect but he was a suspect in another murder investigation that is not well known really so in addition to six-year-old Suzanne Degnan, mm-hmm. obviously Elizabeth Short, and then we have somebody else. And also Cleveland Torso. Mur- like th- Oh, Cleveland Torso killer, yeah. So, I mean, already he's, you know, two different killings or two separate events, two different murders. Mm-hmm. He's already considered a serial killer. Yeah, and I, well, I think back then, because they didn't have the internet, I'm thinking yeah. they just weren't communicating with what was happening in middle America at that point. Absolutely. Okay, so in 1949, the murder of Louise Springer, his oh, secretary. Yes, I, okay, the secretary, okay. That sounds familiar. Do you know this? So Louise was found dead in her car, hidden under a tarp in the back seat. She was garroted to death. So she had like, unfortunately, what John Bonet had, a garrote tied around her neck and strangled. She also had a 14-inch stick inserted into her vagina, which the press at the time said, well, because of this one fact, we're going to name her the Green Twig Murder. (sighs) Because it was a green twig. It was from a green twig trait. I know. The press. So you can you can Google the green okay. twig murder and find out more about Louise, poor Louise. Uh, she was found a block away from the location of Elizabeth Short, and she uh, her case is cold, like it went cold. Nobody knows. In 1949, and then when was Black Dahlia? 47. Black Dahlia was before. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. People speculated that she had evidence incriminating George Hodel based on his mm-hmm. misdiagnosing people and dealing with the VD clinic. Mm-hmm. So technically, it had nothing to do with Elizabeth Short, like oh. her coming out after him was on a different more professional level malpractice essentially malpractice yeah yeah she was gonna report him to authorities like that is the theory on february 18th 1950 the lapd decided to bug george hodell's home for five weeks which is also not known to the public yeah yeah crazy they recorded george talking on the phone doing his daily activities but one day around 8 p.m you can hear an unknown woman screaming her head off And then later on in the day, you can hear the same woman or they think the same woman screaming again. They don't know who this woman is because at the point when they were bugging his house, Mm -hmm. they were also staked out in front of the house. So they were, there were cops watching the home and no, none of the cops can say, right. There was no woman. Even his wives didn't come home at that point. They weren't home. Like it was just him in the house. Like who else was in there or who else was chained up in there? Like, we don't know. We don't know. So the LAPD at that point said, you know what, we're going to go check on George Hodel and knock on his door at this mm-hmm. point the same day that they heard the screaming they knocked on the door uh, and they walked away saying oh, everything's fine yeah I don't get it these aren't the women you're looking for after the screaming the police at that point they're 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 bugging the home and they have a phone call and this is quoted this is exactly what George Hodel said all right you ready? ready they heard him talking on the phone to an unknown person and he states and I quote suppose and I did kill the black Dahlia they can't prove it now they can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead realizing there's nothing to do but put a pillow over her head cover her with a blanket and call a taxi called the hospital right away she expired but there was something fishy anyway they may have figured it out kill her maybe i did kill my secretary 
It seems like he knows that they're bugging him. It seems like he, kn- like almost like he's taunting him. Like they're ta- he's taunting them. Okay. Like, he knows that they're yeah. bugging the house. He knows, and he knows how to taunt somebody. Remember, he's he's got a very high IQ. He thinks he's the smartest fuck motherfucker mm-hmm. in the room. He's gonna do these things. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. So at this point, so supposing I did. Supposing, supposing I did. Supposing I did. Okay. Mm, I got your number. It's not something that normal people would say on a phone. No. Normal, innocent people would innocent say. Innocent people would say, yeah. So the LAPD collected 41 spools of recorded audio, cat, which were lost. Of course they were. They disappeared. They were in a fire. You can't find them anymore. They're gone. Ugh. I know. However, in 2003, the George Hodel Black Dahlia file was randomly discovered in the archives of the LA County District Attorney. Oh, whoop, there it is. It It contained full details of the audio transcript. The reels were gone. Like whatever actual evidence, it was gone. But the transcripts were there. Yes. It included the actual investigation of the five weeks and included the detective logs that the detectives who were parked at the house were writing in and the surveillance. And and I guess they're keeping handwritten logs of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the logs indicate that George may have been paying off some cops at the time. So, which is believable. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. By 1950, there was enough evidence to charge George for the murder of Elizabeth Short. They were ready to go to court. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, uh, another another fact people don't know of. Mm -hmm. When they got ready to, when they they sent their cops over to arrest him, this man knew about this and fled to the Philippines a month earlier. He knew. Yeah, well, okay, I'd see in your notes, but it does remind me that I remember when I did look him up when I was doing the lipstick killer stuff, I remember that he was married to a Filipino mm-hmm. at the time, right? Yeah. While he was in the Philippines, he married an upper class Filipino woman. She's also a she was also a senator at the time. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. So you can you can go to Wikipedia and search her, and she's married to George Hodel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty weird. So uh, they had another four children. They had they, he just was having kids everywhere. Mm-hmm. They divorced in the 1960s. Hodel returned to the United States in 1990. He married a for a fourth time, a woman named June in San Francisco, where he remained the rest of his life, and then he died in 1999 at age 91. Mm. Now, George's son, his yes. name is Steve Hodel, very famous man. Yes. He joined the LAPD in 1963. He became a homicide detective. Steve is convinced his father killed Elizabeth Short. Yeah. A lot of people don't agree with him, but his his case is very compelling. And let's, it's very solid. It's very solid. And let's face it, not everybody is coming from his background where he is an actual homicide detective and a successful one. I mean, he solved like 300 cases. He is kind of like that, that one leading authority in certain cases like this where you want to listen to him because wherever, whatever he's right. saying is going to be, he's going to be, he's going to be well thought out. Whatever he's says is going to be grounded in evidence and I, I think he he makes a very compelling case. Steve was able to get the evidence that had not been released to the public. He requested a handwriting analysis on the letter that was sent to the LAPD back in 1947 with you know the Black Dahlia Avenger. It matched George's uh, success. Like he, he I don't know that I knew 
like that. The handwriting exemplar. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he got that in and that was a total match. In 2013, Steve requested also the soil from the yard of the Franklin Snowden house to be tested for human remains. It came back positive. Mm. Unfortunately, with this test, they can't tell you who is buried there, but they could tell you that actual DNA from a human was buried Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Donna lives there now? That's crazy. I know, and Donna lives there. He was able to get DNA, a DNA profile of his father to do all this study from an old stamp of a letter that his father sent to him. Mm -hmm. With this DNA, he was able to confirm also that Fauna Hodel, the baby that Tamara had, is not biologically George's child. Oh. Yes. So so she got pregnant by one of those sex parties or something. Oh, isn't that crazy? Oh my god. Yeah. Which is good, I guess. I don't know. I don't I don't know. It's not incestual incestual, I guess. But yeah, but it's something. Yeah. He also like there this case is still ongoing because he attempted to obtain DNA from the letters that were sent to the LAPD for the murder. Mm-hmm. There are no updates. The the LAPD will not give him the, the letters. They won't give him the actual letters because remember everything was cut and pasted and there's a stamp and he was he's like, There's DNA on those letters. Like I can connect it and finalize this report but they won't do it why why won't they do it yeah. He uncovered uh, evidence from the letters between George Hodel and Lloyd Wright at the time between 1945 and 1947. George Hodel hired Lloyd to oversee construction repairs and re- renovations on the Snowden Franklin house, which includes receipts for cement work and which included 10 50 pound bags of cement and fertilizer, which were used in remember 1947 mm-hmm. to transport mm-hmm. the body. Like I don't I don't understand like where the disconnection is here at this point. Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes sense. During the 20-year investigation, Steve got uh, locked into the way Elizabeth's body was posed, which led him to look into the friendship between his father and Man Ray. Remember that artist that I mentioned earlier? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kat, at this point, I want you to listen to the interview that I just put out there for you, and I'm also going to play it for the chatters right now. Allow me to introduce myself. I don't know who my public is going to be, but they must surely know who I am. This is Man Ray. I was born many years ago in 1890. I don't feel that old, although many people have told me that they thought I was dead. I seem to have become a legend, and all legends are supposed to be of the past. They tell us that what distinguishes the human race from other species, what makes it superior, is its capacity for laughter. But I have seen donkeys and monkeys laughing themselves into hysteria, watching the human race. No, what distinguishes our race, and only through a few representations of it, is the capacity for creating gratuitous emblems as if we were gods, freed from the necessity of survival. I want to say a few words about my activity as a photographer. To most people, this is a problem, or rather I should say a puzzle. Am I a photographer or am I a painter? Well, do I have to choose between the two? Why can't I have both? I am greedy. I do many other things, too, some of which I cannot even mention here. 
That is weird. How do you feel about that? Like, what's your what's your initial feeling about that? He's being very cryptic in his words. Mm-hmm. Um, he tries to downplay his role, but he is. But at the same time, he's also owning it. Yeah. Do you feel that there's a level of narcissism and oh yeah, and like this egocentric attitude? Oh, totally. Absolutely. There's something very creepy about that. Now, there's a picture yes. that I uploaded on, and I'm gonna upload it on Patreon. I'm gonna show it to Cat now. Just look at the picture that's that's entitled Minotaur. Who it does is that a woman? Yeah. Unknown. I mean, but her posing is similar to Black Dahlia's posing. Yeah. Okay, so now following those connections, Steve started to kind of connect the friendship together a little bit more, and he found some shit that was fucking. I mean, seriously, he's a, he's an amazing mm-hmm. uh, detective. The the following links he found in Man Ray uh, compared to what happened to the Black Dahlia. So, like the photo I just showed you, the Minotaur. A Minotaur is a half bull, half human who mm-hmm. is literally stuck in a maze, and he feeds on young virgins. Like that is mm-hmm. the whole Minotaur. Mythology um, reasoning for that. Right. Uh, he was very popular. This character was very popular in surrealism, and Man Ray uh, posed this uh, this picture that he took exactly like the Black Dahlia. Not to mention that um, there is a case in the Philippines that is unsolved. Uh, while mm-hmm. George Hodel was in the Philippines, a lot of people don't know this. Another Black Dahlia case. Oh, the woman was bisected. Everything was was the same as a Black Dahlia with the with the bis- section of the body right it's freaky uh steve feels that this is his way of honoring his friend man ray because man ray was very popular in surrealism art mm-hmm. man ray was like one of the leads in that mm-hmm. um man ray has a lot of paintings that connect to elizabeth short so and i will mm-hmm. list all of these on the patreon so you can see and kind of see where i'm coming from and where steve is coming from man ray has a painting called lover's lips which he feels is connecting to elizabeth short's mouth which is like this huge lifts kind of like in surrealism art once again taking over mm-hmm. the landscape and when you look mm-hmm. at Elizabeth Short what's the first thing that takes over the landscape her lips her face what he did to her face yeah Man Ray uh, 1943 painting is of a female model who is topless she has no face except a mm-hmm. tic-tac-toe pattern on her where would be her eyes and her lips mm-hmm. uh, which is connected to what he did the killer did to Elizabeth Short's hip right yeah why would you do tic-tac-toe right it just seems very very closely related. Right. In the end, Steve found actual 10 solid connections between Man Ray's art and Elizabeth Short's crime scene. Uh, the surrealist connection, th- there's no mistaking it. It's there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just needed somebody like Steve to kind of connect those dots to say, yeah, this is possible that this community kind of did this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. George Hodel's death sparked communication within the Hodel family. And uh, as you can imagine, although painful, they did tell their story. Uh, and as you can imagine, it's dysfunctional. The sexual, emotional, and physical abuse carried from one generation to another yeah. is overwhelming. Because remember, there's Tamar that suffered a rape and just was violated by her father. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what she did when she had her kids? She did the same thing. Sure. Uh, so Tamar and Fauna did re- reunite. All of George's children came together and grand- 
grandchildren. And one thing was really confirmed that George Hodel is pure evil. Mm, yeah. Uh, this yeah. is coming from his family. Steve Hodel did publish his best selling book after learning all of this and kind of for years, for 20 years, he researched and he called it the Black Dahlia Avenger. I would recommend Chatters to read it. It is, uh, it's an amazing book and he's an, he did a really good job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the end, Elizabeth Short, she was buried in the Mountain View Cemetery in Oakland, California. And that's basically it. I mean, honestly, there's a lot there, but, and I could probably spend another two hours talking about certain things I didn't discuss, but those are reasons why I feel that George Hodel is guilty. And this case has been solved a long time ago, but because he was the chief officer of the VD clinic in LA, mm-hmm. he was not, he was made not to be a suspect. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of words. <laughs> I know. But I mean, I knew that he was creepy anyways to kind of like begin with just from the very little bit of understanding I did have as uh, him being a suspect of Black Dahlia um, and then the little bit with Suzanne Degnan and then of course you mentioned the, the Cleveland Torso Killer and then uh-huh. I mean it, it just makes sense. It does make sense, yeah. And it takes a lot for a child to do that about their own father. I mean even and I think I know we we know about it today we talk about it today because even if you have too much to drink or you're dressing a little scandalously or you're walking on the wrong street late at night nobody deserves to have their body cut in half no and you know and their body mutilated in so many different ways nobody deserves that no obviously as we know it's not just her there's it's all over the place Chicago right uh, Cleveland Philippines Philippines I mean when I saw that there was a connection Connection while he was living there and the the body was laid out just like Elizabeth if anything I hope this crime chat kind of makes you fully aware that I feel that Elizabeth Short's crime was solved mm. due to the uh, work of his son his own son to kind of say mm-hmm. oh wait a minute not only he remember Tamar is his sister right and they didn't connect the, the entire family did not connect until after George died he wouldn't allow them to connect now is the son is he still alive he is yeah is he still a cop or no no he's reti- he's been retired for 25 oh. years so this is kind of like you know he's he, he wrote his book he has a couple of other books and he did he knew his dad was a guilty son of a bitch like he knew mm-hmm. it he and and mm-hmm. he but personally as a young man growing in that household he said his childhood was fine well I mean that could have been thanks to the mother yes and also that he was a boy yeah well and parents so said in the 60s that they divorced Mm-hmm. And he didn't move, and George didn't move back to the U.S. until 1990. So I mean, there's plenty of time where you right. live probably primarily with the mother, uh-huh. you know, and you see your father on occasion, whether you want to or not. Yeah. Wow. So that's my crime chat, Cat. What do you think? Uh, insane. And I think we just solved Black Dahlia. Yeah. <laughs> I think we did. I think we did. Well, I think we just, we, you know, I think he solved it, but we just. He solved it. We encouraged the solve. We encouraged. Yeah. You know what? There's a lot there and I don't want to leave you hanging. All this information is going to be on the uh, after cat, uh, after that crime chat and also on the Patreon. Yes. All of the pictures I mentioned and referenced are going to be there. Also, Steve Hord- Hordell's like mm-hmm. work that he kind of like everything I highlighted tonight is going to be there. And um, also the 
the recording of Man Ray and ugh, yeah. I don't know. You mentioned Patreon, but you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, TikTok now that you can kind of see Yay! what's coming up. Um, you can get little mm-hmm. snippets, kind of what's been going on with the podcast, um, some of the things that we're going to be talking about in the future too. Yes. And remember that. A crime chat with Nat and Kat. So you can subscribe to the Patreon. You can follow us, like Kat said, basically everywhere. We're basically yes, we everywhere. Are. So you can go yes. Google us. But we have pretty funny uh, <laughs> scenes and bloopers from the shows, especially with Kat singing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so be sure to check out our next episode. It is a tricky one. Mm-hmm. It may just fool you. Oh. <laughs> Uh, April Fools is around the court. Yes. So we will see you on the next crime chat. Yes. We'll see you, chatters. Bye. Bye.